What's up, y'all? Y'all, this is Piper. Everybody say hi, Piper. Oh my goodness. Do you want to say hi? Do you want to say hi? Do you want to wave? Okay. Um, here, here, real quick, real quick. So, I don't, I, I mean, she is stinking cute, but I don't just bring her up here because she's really cute. One, I wanted y'all to meet Piper and I wanted Piper to meet y'all, right? We've been having a fun time in here, but uh, I, do, I do this thing with Piper every night. Paige and I, my wife and I, we do like a bedtime routine, right? And it's usually like a couple of songs, maybe some prayers, and we lay down, we get some milky, right? We get milky every night? Yeah. Do you want water in your milky? No, just milky. And then every night, Pipes, Mommy and Daddy ask you the same question, right? And we say, we say, Piper, what two things do you know to be true? And what do you say? What do you say? What two things do you know to be true? Do you know? Who loves you? It's kind of scary with these lights, huh? What two things do you know to be true? Do you want to go back to mommy? No? <laughs> Do you want to answer my question? <laughs> Are you, hey, Pipes, what, what two things? Do you want to talk into Dada's mic right here? No? What two things do you know to be true? Who loves you? Number one? Do you know who? Mommy and daddy love you. And number two, who else? Who else loves you? <laughs> okay, okay. Hey, can you say go Raiders? Okay, can you give me a kiss? Kisses? Love you. Here, go get mama. Go get mama. Y'all, we practiced so many times today, okay? So, hey, here's the thing. So, every night, P uh, Piper and I, we, we, she usually picks, like, a different song that she wants to sing. Uh, like, some nights, it's Beach Boys, right, for some reason. She'll be like, Beach Boys, Dada. And she'll go, if everybody had an ocean across the USA, right? And she loves this part. She goes, a bushy, bushy, blonde hairdo. She'll just walk around the house singing that. She'll go, a bushy, bushy, blonde hairdo, right? Homegirl's a little Tasmanian devil. And other nights, she's like, Dada, Dada. I want baby shark. And it's like, baby shark? Like, how do you sing like a bedtime lullaby version of baby shark, right? It's like, it's like the calming bedtime version. You're like, baby shark, do, 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 do. Right? It's like the weirdest bedtime lullaby. But then every night, every night we ask Piper this question. We say, hey, Pipes, we say, what two things do you know to be true? And she says this every night. She goes, mama and dada love me and God loves me. Right? And we, we tell her this every night, and here's why. Here's why, okay? I know, I know there's going to come a day where that, right now, it's just memory, right? Like, I ask her that question, and she's just memorized it. Mommy and Daddy love me, and God loves me. Mommy and Daddy love me, and God loves me. Right, right now, it's just a memory. But I know there's going to come a day like that song we just sang. Right? There's a moment in that song where it says, when darkness seems to hide your face, Hey, isn't that interesting? There's going to be a day where in Piper's life, much like what we talked about last night, she's either going to be in a trial, coming out of a trial, or walking into a trial. And when darkness seems to hide God's face, 
I want my little girl to remember and be confident in the fact that mommy and daddy love me no matter what. Y'all, having two little girls has changed and shifted so much of my perspective of God's love for me. I understand it so much differently now because I look at my baby girl and I go, there is absolutely nothing, nothing she could do that would make me love her more. And there's absolutely nothing my little girl could do that would make me love her less. She's my daughter through thick and thin forever, for as long as I'm on earth. That's my little girl. And knowing and understanding that God uses this analogy of, of adoption, this analogy of a, a father and a son or a father and a daughter, and I know, friends, like, here, level with me for a second. I know that's a hard analogy for some of you. Right? For some of you in, sitting in this chapel, when you hear things like uh, God is a father and he is a good father and he's a loving father, you hear that and that doesn't really make sense. Right? Maybe that doesn't really compute for you and you go like, when I think loving, I don't think dad. Right? For some of you, that's a really broken analogy. But God wants to redeem that. He wants to restore that. He wants to buy that back and go, let me, let me help you understand what the love of a father actually looks like. And so much of the Bible, do you remember we talked about the Bible being the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety? Genesis through Revelation, this story is not about what we have to do to get to God. This story, the reason it's the greatest story ever told is because it's a demonstration over and over and over and over and over again of what God has done to get to us. And all throughout the Bible, friends, God uses this analogy and he wants to demonstrate to us what love looks like. And the reason nightly I want to remind my daughter of this is because I said it last night, right? Most of us, most of us need to be reminded of truth more than we need to be taught something brand new. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? Hey, tonight, I just want you to pretend with me that there's like a giant mirror on the back wall, and here's why, okay? Y'all at like sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade, hey, this is not me standing up front going, hey, here's a truth about God that I figured out at 31, this is not me standing up here as a pastor, as a speaker, going like, hey, here's something I've mastered when it comes to understanding God. This is something, and the reason I say there's a mirror on the back wall is because I'm going to preach tonight's message to myself. Right? Tonight's message is a, is a message that I need to hear and that I need to remind myself of. And what we're going to talk about tonight is last night, we talked a lot about, uh, remember, like, I know how this story ends. I remember me sitting, watching the game, going, just wait, just wait. Right? When we're in the middle of a trial, we, we know, we confidently know that those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who are hoping our trust is in him because we've heard these words of his and we've put them into practice. We've surrendered our life over to Jesus and we're following him now. Our lives have been transformed by him. We know how the story ends. That we are eternal beings that happen to have bodies right here, right now. But in eternity, we know how the story ends. Jesus is victorious, but the question then stands, well, what about now? What do I do in the in-between? Right? If, I'm, if I'm living life right now and I'm kind of in the middle of a, of a storm, like, how do I live out this storm? How do I do so faithfully? And so we're going to look at two chapters of Daniel tonight. We're going we're gonna to walk through this story of Daniel, but I want us to know and confidently understand that there is a God, and if you hear nothing else tonight, friend, hear this. That there is a God that knows 
everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he loves you. He fully knows you, and he loves you. And I think some of you need to hear that. And I think some of you need to be reminded of that. Because like Piper, maybe you can rattle that off and go, mm-hmm, for sure, God loves me. But, I, but I, would, I would invite you like a one step deeper and go, do you live like that? Do you live like there is a God that loves you so stinking much that he went to the length to send his only son? We're gonna, we're gonna flesh this story out throughout the week, but do you all know this, right? Like your counselor that came up to Hume with you, your youth pastor that's up here, the single most mature thing you could ever do as a follower of Jesus is simply believe that God loves you. Because if you really believed that, it would change everything about your life. How much of your life is spent looking to your right and looking to your left and trying to get the approval of the people around you? Asking the question, do you like me? Do you love me? Do you like me? Do you love me? Why are we afraid to show our real selves? Why are we afraid to be vulnerable? Because we're terrified if people actually knew us that they wouldn't love us anymore. It's why we wear masks. It's why we pretend. It's why we try to be the funny guy. It's why we have to be the pretty girl. It's why we have to be the athletic guy. We go, I have to win. I have to earn because I don't really believe at the core of me that somebody could actually know everything about me and still love me. And so tonight, we want to remind ourselves of this great truth that it's not just that we know how the story ends, but that it's in the middle of the struggle that there is a God that wants to walk with you in the midst of that and through that. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Daniel. Daniel. Y'all nailed it, okay? Daniel chapter 2. We're going to pick up the story right there. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Hey, y'all remember the drama this morning? Remember it? Right? No. It's been so long, okay? In the drama this morning, we saw, it was kind of long, right? We saw two different stories. We saw a story where Nez, right? And who's Nez? It's King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, right? We saw this story where King Nebuchadnezzar has a, he's a dream. He's a dream, okay? Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in that dream, Right? He then goes to all of the magicians and the magistrates and he tells them, not only do I need you to tell me my dream, but I need you to interpret that dream for me, right? It's like high stakes dream interpretation. And so we're gonna open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter two and we're gonna see this flesh out in Daniel chapter two, okay? So if you're in Daniel chapter two, verse one, Meadow Ranch, give me a nice loud preach. preach. Okay, here we go. In the second year, of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And they came in and they stood before the king and he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it, which seems reasonable. Then the king replies to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Intense, right? But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will see, receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it, right? This is like high stakes. This is as high stakes as it gets when it comes to dream interpretation. Not only tell me my dream, but tell me what it means. 
Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will, we will interpret it. The king answered, I am certain that you were trying to gain time. And because you realize that this is what I firmly decided, if you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation would change. So then tell me this dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Then you skip down to verse 11. They say, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. And so the decree goes out that all these astrologers, magicians, basically the people that were trained in these first three years that we saw in Daniel chapter one, they all get this death decree. And Daniel and his friends, they hear about this death decree and Daniel praises God in verse 20 and he says this, praise be to the name of God forever and ever, wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You made known to us in the dream of the king. Hey, pause right there and look up at me. I love this prayer from Daniel. And I think so much of this prayer of Daniel's is him reminding himself of the truth of who his God is. Hey, if you're anything like me, prayer is, is hard. And if we're not careful, prayer becomes kind of this like Santa Claus type thing. We just like ask for stuff. And maybe we pray like a couple of times a day before meals. Maybe we don't pray at all. Like maybe you wrestle with prayer like I wrestle with prayer and it's, it's challenging. And yet I love that Daniel's prayer starts with reminding himself of the truth of who his God is. Hey, there's a, there's a book in your Old Testament um, where it, there's this na- nation of Israel and they're coming out of Egypt Right? And, and there's this book called Joshua, and in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, the nation of Israel, they've, they've come out of Egypt, they were rescued out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then they go out into the wilderness for 40 years, and then God brings his people into the promised land with a guy named Joshua. But there's this really cool moment in Joshua where they, they come up to the Jordan River, and it's in flood stage, and I love that the Bible gives us this detail. It says the river itself was in flood stage, which means you have like a couple million Israelites that are trying to cross this river and there's no way to do so with the oxen that they have, right? With the, with the goods that they took out of Egypt with the treasures. And so it says it's in flood stage and then they walk up to the river and, and Joshua leads them through the river on dry ground. That it says that God stops the river up and it, the water heaps up, it piles up and the whole nation of Israel crosses the Jordan on dry land. But then God asks, them to do something. He says, I want you to stop in the middle of the river. And you can go read this for yourself. It's in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. It says that the nation of Israel, they stop in the middle of the river and God instructs them very specifically to pick up 12 stones. And he says, I want you to grab these 12 stones. I want you to walk them over to the other side of the river. And then I want you to pile up these 12 stones. And they're like, why? He's like, because there's going to come a time where there's going to be a generation that forgets who I am and forgets what I've done on your behalf. And so it says, when your sons ask, when your grandchildren ask, when the grandchildren of your grandchildren ask, why are these stones here? Tell them about who I am and and what a great God I am that I rescued my people out of Egypt, out of the desert, and that I brought them into the land of, uh, this land flowing with milk and honey, right? This, This promised land. Now, why would God do that? Why would God give them this physical reminder 
Do you think it's because he knows and he understands? Any of y'all ever lost your phone while it's still in your hand? Right? Any of your parents ever been frantic? Like, like, where are my keys? Like, they're like late for something. Like, where are your keys? And you're like, mom, 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 no, I'll wait, right? Like, mom, they're in your hands, right? And she's like, shut up, right? Like, like she, I knew that, right? Like, we're forgetful people, right? We lose our phones when they're in our hands. We lose our keys all the time, right? Like, we are a forgetful people, and God rescues his people. He brings them out of Egypt. He brings them out of the desert, and then he says, hey, I'm going to give you this physical reminder of who I am, and here in this story, we see Daniel pause in the middle of a death decree, right? I don't know about you, I don't know what trials you've been through, but Daniel finds himself exiled, first of all. He's in a place that isn't his home. And then, after he's resolved not to defile himself, he finds himself going like, there's this king who's kind of psycho, who goes like, hey, not only do I need you to tell me my dream, but I need you to tell me what it means. And everybody's like, that's impossible. And, And then so he goes, all right, you're all dead. And Daniel wasn't even there. He wasn't even present when this happened. But this death decree goes out and he pauses and he just talks to God. And there's this prayer where he says he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings, raises up others. He reminds himself who this king is. And then it says this. In verse 24, Daniel goes to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he says to them, he says, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. And fast forward all the way down to verse 27. In verse 27, it says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that have passed through your minds as you were lying in bed are these. And then Daniel goes on to interpret the king's dreams. Not because Daniel's amazing, Because he understands who this God is and that his God goes with him, because God goes before him. Skip all the way down to verse 45. It says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And Daniel is then placed in this high position, lavished many gifts upon him. He's made ruler over all the province of Babylon. Right? And then do you all remember the, what happened in the drama this morning? Right? How much time passed? 15 minutes. minutes, Okay? And now there's like some comical relief there. But we don't know how much time passed here. But it says that like the very next verse that we see is chapter 3, verse 1. So here we have Nez, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream and he's like, yo, we're not like y'all are dead. You're going to be cut into pieces, which like, can we just agree is like aggressive, right? Like that's, that's an aggressive way to kill somebody. He's like, we're going to cut you into a bunch of little pieces if you can't tell me what my dream is and what it means. And then they're all like, hey, that's impossible. So he goes, cool, y'all are dead. And then Daniel's like, How does blah, blah, blah? like easy with the cutting into pieces. And Daniel goes and he prays. God reveals the dream to him. Daniel comes and he says, my God revealed to you what this dream is. And he tells him what the dream is. And then Daniel's put in this high position King Nebuchadnezzar falls at Daniel's feet and says, your God is the true God. And then the very next verse we see is chapter three, verse one. And in my Bible, y'all, right here, it says, LOL, right? Literally, written on the side, LOL. Why? 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold or a big chocolate bunny, right? Y'all, like maybe one of the greatest bangers to ever come out of the Veggie Tales, right? The bunny, the bunny, ooh, I love the bunny. If y'all, look, if you're, not a, if you're not a church nerd, you're sitting in here going like, what is he, t- like chocolate bunny, huh, what? You're not missing anything, I promise, okay? You're not missing anything. But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the crazy thing, okay? Here's my guess, here's my guess. Right? If for whatever reason, if for whatever reason, like y'all, like I got to come and I got to visit your hometown and your home church, and like after Hume, we, I came down and I got to hang out with y'all, my guess is, my guess is, in your house, there's not some like massive gold statue and if I like you like invited me over for dinner I got to come over and like we walked into your front like your front door and walked past like this big gold statue you wouldn't be like oh yeah that's just our idol that's the thing that's like the thing we worship whatever I'm like oh wait weren't we just at Hume yeah yeah poor Canolos dos right like yeah like a little bit of both right like yeah like for sure like my guess is you don't worship a massive gold idol at home but there's there's something to be taken from this story and it's this Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar can give God lip service. He can recognize, wow, your God is great. There's this movement happening. Your God interpreted my dream. That's amazing. He can have this moment where he's in awe of God and then just as easily turn back to something that makes more sense to him. Nebuchadnezzar is guilty of the exact same thing that Piper was when she's drinking from the hose. Why? God is inviting Nebuchadnezzar, even Nebuchadnezzar, in all of his craziness, into a life that's defined by him. He's placed Daniel in his kingdom. Daniel's inviting Nebuchadnezzar to understand who his God is. And for a brief moment, Nebuchadnezzar goes, whoa, your God can do big things. And then he goes right back to going, mm, I kind of want to do things the way that I want to do things. That makes sense to me. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes a big gold idol. And here's the moment where I just, like, I want this to be convicting to every single one of us in this room. Friend, an idol is not necessarily a massive golden thing in your house that you bow down to. An idol is anything that you give your attention to that isn't God. Right? It's, 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 we have good things all around us that we make God things, right? Worship is not something you do when you're in chapel or you're at church. Worship is not something you do. Worship is something you are. And so the question is not if you will worship, it's who or what you will worship, right? The question is not if you will worship in your life. The question is simply who or what you will worship. So when we worship God, we give our attention fully to him. But friends, there's idols all around us. And this is a big part of why I say, like, there's a giant mirror on the back wall is because I suffer with idolatry all the time. I give my attention to things. I make my life about things that aren't God. And there's this dailiness of coming back to him going, I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling with this. God, forgive me that I gave my attention to that, that I made my life about that that I pursued success, that I pursued attention, that I made my life about me. And idolatry is this thing that King Nebuchadnezzar, in the middle of his story, for him it's gonna be this big gold statue that makes everything about him. But I think if we're not careful, every one of us can read this story and go, Nebuchadnezzar, what an idiot. 
Right? And we miss the fact that we need that mirror in our lives going, hey, where am I wrestling with this idolatry where I completely forget who this God is? Okay, so read on with me. Chapter three, verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, right? And set up on a plain in Dura in the province of Babylon. And in case your cubits are rusty, right? In case like your daily calculations aren't made in cubits, right? That's about 90 feet high and nine feet wide. That's a big gold statue. Homie's about to give himself a whole lot of attention, and he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. And so all those people that I just talked about assembled for the dedication of the image that he had set up, and they stood before it. And the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As you hear the sound of the, you ready for this? Horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Hey, pause real quick and look up at me. King Neb, Nez, sets up this golden statue. He brings all the people, and he says, when you hear the music, bow down. But you got four guys. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in this story, it focuses on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And last night in Matthew chapter 7, we, we studied this passage that said, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you will be like the person who builds their house on the rock. On the rock. Why? Because Jesus goes, if you hear these words of mine, if you put your trust in me, then your hope won't be in your circumstance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in the middle of a circumstance in exile where basically they have a guy going, worship me or die. And they, they were friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not prepare for this moment in that moment. They didn't prepare for exile in exile. They found themselves in this moment already having trusted God. They trusted God before they were exiled. They trusted God in chapter one and here they find themselves trusting God again. And so, so God, Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to this thing when the worship, when the music is played or die. And then they all bow down, the music is played, and then three dudes don't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and skip down to verse 13, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't worship my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up. When you hear the music, if you're not ready to fall down and, and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. He orders that the furnace be, be placed even hotter than it currently is, and he gets the strongest, biggest, baddest guards to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in. And it says that the furnace was so hot that the guards who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the furnace, they died just by, because they were close to this furnace. 
And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in. And then in verse 24, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And why do we talk about this story? Why do we dive into these two chapters? Why do we read so much Bible? Hey, friends, there will come a day where you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or walking into a trial. And last night we talked about, we might know how this story ends, But I want to talk about when you're in the middle of it, what would it look like for you, even as a sixth grader, a seventh grader, or an eighth grader, to know not just how the story ends, but who's with you in the middle of that trial. In the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before a king with a death threat and went, we will not worship your God. We will not bow down. Why? Because we know who currently stands with us. Hey, y'all ever seen uh, The Lion King? Yeah. Seen that movie? Yeah. Hey, I want, you to, I want you to watch this scene. Check this out. James, James, James chapter 4 says this. James chapter 4 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Hey, the, the Bible in, in the book of James makes a promise. It says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. If you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you will be like the person whose house is built on the rock. The rock says, if you put your trust and hope and understanding in my word, if you come near to me, I will come near to you. And then it says this. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Friends, can I just let you in on a secret? The devil, your enemy, is not afraid of you. Right? Like when we see this, I love the picture of Lion King. You got uh, Simba, and he's trying to impress Nala, right? And they go over to, like, the elephant uh, thing, whatever, like the death graveyard, thank you, right? They go over to the graveyard, and then they, the, the hyenas come out, and they find themselves in trouble, and Simba tries to flex his roar, and he's like, rawr, 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 you know, like, oh, right? He's so cute, right? And then, and then what happens? They, all the hyenas laugh, and then he opens up his mouth again, and, but Who's roaring? Who's roaring? Mufasa, Mufasa, right? And Simba, at first, stay with me, stay with me. Simba, at first, goes, whoa. That was like, 
my, my puberty hit fast, right? <laughs> and, then, and then Simba turns around and realizes, oh, dad's with me. Hey, dad's here. And I love, y'all, don't miss this. Hey, don't miss this, Meadow Ranch. I love I love that James chapter four says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. This is the God of the universe. Y'all, don't miss this. If you've been around church for forever, you can hear things like God loves you and you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. You can hear things like come near to me and I will come near to you. Y'all, do you realize the God of the universe, the one who spoke into existence creation, The God that said, let there be light, and light actually listened. The God that said, mountain range, you go there. Trees, you grow. He created oceans and land, put whales in their place. The God that designed you. The human body is incredible. You ever just paused and thought about the fact that like, I, as I'm watching my, my, my three-month-old become a four-month-old and my two-and-a-half-year-old grow and understand like, the fact that humans are the way that they are and that they grow and like, the, the, the central nervous system works and that she can get sick and then her body can heal itself, like, y'all, this stuff is bananas. But if we're not careful, if we don't pause, we just take life for granted and we take God for granted. This God that designed everything says, if you, mere human, one of seven billion people currently on earth, bound by this time, In this place, if you draw near to me, the God of the universe says, I will draw near to you. And that's a promise. And yet way too often in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a hard moment, we go, God, where are you? God, you've left me. And the number one way you, friend, even as a sixth grader and seventh grader and eighth grader, and remember, I need to remind myself of this same truth because I forget it all the time. I find myself in difficulty, in hardship, in hard moments and go, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is not how I would have written this script. And if I try to just white knuckle it and figure it out on my own, I'm like Simba, approaching life going, it's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. And yet I love the promise of James chapter four. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And in any trial, and any brokenness, and any storm, I love, and I just want to end with this, right? This last song that we sang, Christ Alone, Cornerstone. It says, when darkness seems to hide its face, I will rest in your unending grace. And then it says this, my anchor holds within the veil, right? And if you're anything like me, it's really easy in a moment of worship to sing that song and go like, my anchor holds within the veil. And then you pause and go, huh? What does that mean? My anchor? Like what anchor? Holds within the veil. Whose veil? Right? Y'all know this, right? When Jesus came, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books are called the Gospels, right? And they tell the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to unpack more this week. But in order to come to God, so before the book of James was written, For the entirety of the Old Testament, in order to come to God, you had to go to a temple. And even at that temple, there was a place uh, within a room, within a room that was called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelled. And there was a veil, there was this curtain that that was blocking the presence of God from being with the people. And there was one person that one time a year could go into that room. 
But in the greatest story ever told, that's hardly ever told in its entirety, Jesus comes and he walks the earth and he experiences hardship and brokenness and loss and, and, and broken friendships and hunger and fatigue and he walks through life like you and I walk through life, Hebrews says, so that he can understand so that he can be a God that not only sits in the sky and gives us commands, but walks with us, among us. That he's a with us, that he's a God, Emmanuel, that literally means God with us. And it says that when that Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die, which again, we're going to talk more about this week. It says, when he died and said these words, it is finished, that that veil, that curtain, which was as thick as a man's hand, Right? As thick as a man, there was this curtain that blocked off the Holy of Holies, the room within the room where the presence of God dwelled. It says that that tore from top to bottom. So in that song when it says, my, like, when darkness seems to hide your face, when you find yourself in the trial in the moment where you go, God, I don't get this, would you know and be confident of the fact that when Jesus came, he tore that veil from top to bottom? And your anchor, the thing that holds you steadfast, can be the fact that the God of the universe stands like Mufasa behind you and says, I'm here. You're not alone. The number one way you can persevere through trials, like Daniel and Daniel chapter 2, like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel chapter 3, is by knowing and being confident. If you hear these words of mine and put them into practice... You'll be like the person who builds their house on the rock. Your hope and your trust is in the Jesus that's with you. Come near to me and I will come near to you. Be confident of the fact that God loves you and that he's with us and that he desires to walk with us. It's not just a promise at the end of the story. Right? Live life a certain way and at the end you get God. No, friends, God is with you right now, here, today, in whatever you're walking through. God's inviting you in. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the reminder that I need. God, that this isn't a, a message for sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. God, that, but tonight is a reminder that we all need. That you promise to walk with us. You invite us to walk with you. God, and, and I don't know every story in this room, but you do. You know what's happening. You know the home life. You know the struggles. And God, whatever trial we find ourselves in right now, would we know and understand and be confident that we don't have to walk through that alone? That you are a God that invites us nearer, that you are a God that loves us, that you are a God that, that consistently reminds us of the truth that we need to be reminded of. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray.